Well, good morning, everyone. If you would, open your Bible to the book of Acts. Yes, the book of Acts. We're in the, our Philippian series. I want to apologize to our wonderful administrators, uh, Lori and Gail. The bulletin is wonderful. I made a last-minute change. We're going to be in Acts this morning. So here we go, Acts 16, uh, 6. I'm going to read the passage in just a moment, but what I thought would be helpful uh, for us as we get underway this morning would be to tell you what I think I'm trying to accomplish when I'm up here. Like, if we're going to do this together, you should know what I think is happening, right? I thought that would make sense. And so um, let me tell you what I think the purpose and really the ultimate goal of preaching is all about. I counted, just so you know, there are 10 neon exit signs in this room. That's a lot of exit doors. And here's my dedication to you. Here's a promise, or I want to let you off the hook in this way. If this book is not preached, you have my permission to use them, okay? The hope is that this word, which is the guide for our life, is what centers us every single time we, we proclaim God's word. When I was 16 years old, some of you have already heard this, uh, Jim Loki was my youth pastor. And youth pastors are, I, I, I love that ministry because it had such a blessing on my life. He took me on a mission trip to Romania. And when I came back, he had platformed me in a way I should not have been platformed, to be honest with you. He let me preach uh, my first Sunday morning message, which was about seven minutes Probably a terrible sermon. Uh, I still have the notes for those, by the way. And something had happened that by the time I got back, there was a spark that had been lit within me that went, I really enjoy doing this. Like, you have to be some sort of crazy to get up here and, and want to do this in front of a whole bunch of people. But he said, pay attention to that. I think God is doing something. You may be called to ministry. And so I can tell you, guys, there, is, there are fewer things in my life that fill me up with the passion pleasure, joy, all those words, than getting to do this. This is what the Lord has called me to do. I heard along the way, someone had said that a call to ministry is a call to prepare. If you found out that the doctor that was operating on you got D's through med school and basically didn't pay attention during his residency, would that concern you maybe a little bit if they were going to operate on your brain? Some of you are nodding. The answer is yes, clearly, right? In the same way, The person who is heralding and proclaiming God's word ought to know what he's doing. And someone had said to me at at one point, you can either be a mile wide and an inch deep or really an inch inch wide and a a mile deep. And I thought, if I was going to do something, let me do just a few things well. And that's why I've dedicated, I dedicated my whole 20s just to trying to understand this book. So why the emphasis on this book? Is it just a book written by over 1,600 years by a whole bunch of men that have major themes, the major theme of redemption running all the way through it from Genesis all the way to maps. I think the answer, yeah, you finally got that, good. Um, I think there is something deep here, and it is not just a book written by men. It is written ultimately by the divine author. And so when we say that scripture is inspired, Paul says this is uh, scripture's own reflection, uh, description of itself. It says all scripture is breathed out by God and is profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction, and for training in righteousness, that the man of God may be complete, thoroughly equipped for every good work. And so it's not just a book written by men, but it's spoken by God. 
So when you read the words on the page, you ought to think, this is what God is saying to me. And if it is written by God who is altogether good and perfect and never speaks anything that is wrong, but always speaks the truth, therefore scripture is also unerring. That's another word we use, inerrant. It always is going to tell us the truth when it comes to the facts. Another word that we use to describe scripture is that it is infallible. It's always going to tell you what correct doctrine is. It's always going to lead you to right, a right understanding of salvation. It's trustworthy in that way. Let me give you another word here to describe scripture. There's so many words we could give, but here's another one. Scripture is sufficient. And by that, I mean is that it speaks to every facet of our life, either directly or indirectly. And so, for you and I, we don't take the pressure off yourself, y'all. We don't have to have all the answers. But if we know our Bible, we know that it speaks to what we're going through, no matter what we're going through. You don't have to have all the answers, just his word. And so here's what this means, and this is what I want to give you a heads up so you know what to expect. When we are, 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 are here together on Sunday morning, one of the things I love being able to do is walk through books of the Bible together. I'm what's called an expository preacher. I want to exposit and explain the word so that the goal is whether you just got here and this is your first time here opening up the Bible or you have been at Bethesda for a long time and you've read this thing cover to cover multiple times, is that we would get to the end of our time together and we would reinforce, or not only reinforce, but we'd also be going, I saw something there I didn't see before. I know my Bible better. That's the goal, that you know your Bible better. For, you can forget me, right? Many of the things that we know and believe, we can't remember where we first heard those things from. But it gets ingrained in us Sunday after Sunday after Sunday. That's why we have to do this. That's why we have to be here on a regular basis. So my goal is that you would know your Bible better. And by doing so, you know your God better. And if you know God better, you will know how he has called you to live. Paul says to Timothy, the last chapter that he gives uh, in the New Testament, this is the last thing Paul says, preach the word, be ready in season and out of season, reprove, rebuke, and exhort with complete patience and teaching. For the time is coming when people will not endure sound teaching, but they will have itching ears. They will accumulate for themselves teachers to suit their own passions and turn away from listening to the truth and wander off into myths. And then he says to Timothy, as for you, always be sober-minded, endure suffering, do the work of an evangelist, fulfill your ministry. Here is what I want to promise you. I, I do care what you think about me. No, know that. I, I, your, your opinion matters. But the opinion that matters the most, that has given me my identity, is the one who has told me in his word that not many of you should be teachers because we know that those of us who teach will be judged more severely. I will have to stand not before any man at the end of all of this, but I'm gonna stand before God. And that's not only true for me, elders, that is true for you, teachers who just taught in the last hour and will be teaching going into the fall, we will be accountable for what we say to God's children at that last day. And so there's a severity to all of this. And so you may have noticed that also last Sunday I, uh, I gave an opportunity for people to say yes at the end of the service. It was very intentional. They could say, yes, I'm ready to follow Christ for the first time. Did that back in April when I visited. Paul says to Timothy, do the work of an evangelist. I don't know if I'm gifted to be an evangelist, but I know that I'm called to fulfill that great commission as are all of us. And so what is happening in that moment, which we'll do this Sunday and we'll do as far and as long as I'm here, 
is that we're communicating the first, the obvious to people. This is the moment where you can be confronted with Christ your Savior and you can meet him for the first time. Obvious. But for the rest of us, I'm communicating to you as well and I'm saying, Bethesda Church is the place where you can bring your lost friends and family members. And this is the moment where they can meet Christ once and for all. And so that's, that's really the name of the game. That's what we're here for. A- after a sermon, it is always great to get feedback. And getting feedback, uh, sometimes you'll hear people say, uh, Pastor, that was a great speech. It's okay. Pastor, that was a great sermon. A little bit better. Pastor, I heard the Lord speak this morning. That's what we're aiming for. And it's not because of my words, but it's so that you would know his word better. We're in the book of Acts this morning. And that's intentional so that we can get some of the backstory to Philippians. When you read Philippians, do you ever wonder what's going on behind this? What's really here? If you've read it 15, 20 times, you can, get the, you can get what Paul's saying. But if you know the church that he's writing to, it helps so much more. The Bible's really divided down, down the middle. You have your Old Testament, then you have your New Testament. Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, those are biographies on Jesus. And then Acts is part two, really, of Luke written by the Dr. Luke, and he tells us about Paul and what he's doing. Paul, as many of us know, was a persecutor of Christians, zealous for the Jewish cause, and God saved him dramatically in Acts 9, saved him on the road to Damascus, and now Paul is in his second missionary journey. And let's listen in, or read it here in verse 6. And they went through the region of Phrygia and Galatia, having been forbidden by the Holy Spirit to speak the word in Asia. And when they had come to Mysia, they attempted to go to, into Bithynia. But the Spirit of Jesus did not allow them. So passing by Mysia, they went down to Troas, and a vision appeared to Paul in the night. A man of Macedonia was standing there, urging him and saying, come over to Macedonia and help us. And then verse 10, last verse here. And when Paul had seen the vision, immediately we, Luke is including himself in there, we sought to go on into Macedonia, concluding that God had called us to preach the gospel to them. This is the word of the Lord. I'm not seeing people jumping up and down like this just changed your life, what I just read. No? No? Let me show you why it should. Okay, let's put a map up. This will help us. Okay? So this is what was just described to us. So Paul Boom, it works. Perfect. Okay, so Paul is going. This is Asia Minor right here. And Paul is going in his second missionary journey. And he meets up with, if you look at the beginning of chapter 16, he meets up with Brother Tim, Timothy, who if you remember last week in 1-1 is co-author with Paul to the church of Philippi. So they know him well. And so he picks him up. And they had the intention to go over here to Asia. Now, when you think of Asia, you think of Russia, you think of China. But here, for our purposes, when Scripture is describing that, they're describing this part right here. So Paul had meant to come from here to here. And then Scripture, what does it say there? Did you catch that? It says, they were forbidden by the Holy Spirit to do that. So it's not like it just didn't work out. It's not like they couldn't catch their flight. The Holy Spirit didn't let it happen. And so they try to go north and go north into Bithynia. You see that right there? And we're told once again, we're told that the spirit of Jesus did not allow them to do that. And so they end up right over here in Troas. So let me stop right there. Hopefully you guys can see that on that side too. Good. 
the thing about this passage that should strike us, strike us odd, is that it's not merely that things didn't work out. It's that God did not allow it to work out. And that should seem kind of confusing, like, Holy Spirit, don't you want us to do our job of reaching lost people? Isn't that what we talk about? Didn't, didn't we uh, raise up support? Didn't we send out all of the letters? Didn't we come before the church and we had people pray over us and we, and we did our briefing and we do our debriefing? You know, if you've ever done SOAR, like MBs have, have done for a while, we have SOAR and TREK. These are programs that have existed in the past. I don't know if they still exist but that's one of the things I had to do. Every time I go on a short-term mission trip, you got to get ready for it. And have you ever been on that mission trip where, man, it did not work out the way you had planned for it to go? That same youth pastor I told you about, Jim, said, always be flexible. And that, and that yeah, some of you are nodding because you've experienced that weird mission trip. I've been on that one too. It just didn't go according to plan. But then God doesn't allow them to go either to the left or to the right but he sends them all the way to Troas. And it's there that Paul has that vision of the man from Macedonia. And where's Macedonia? On the other side of the Aegean Sea. So he's here, and then on the other side, the guy is calling him to come over here. And he says, come and help us. Summing up God's actions here, uh, Marita and Shan commentate on this passage and say, describing God's actions, say, we should recognize that God in his providence often directs our paths by shutting doors. Yeah, that's absolutely true for my life. I'm sure that's true for many of us. Sometimes the most wise thing that God can do is tell us no. When we think something is best, he sees something far more important because what the spirit wanted was something more timely and prescient because what's on the other side in Macedonia the first European church that Paul would plant, and that is the church of Philippi. And that's why we're looking at this passage this morning. Because if God doesn't take them to, lets them go left or lets them go right, the church doesn't get get planted in Philippi when God wants it to be. By the way, you should also know that eventually God in his timeliness does plant churches all throughout Asia Minor as well. But it's on his timetable. He knows all things. He holds time and everything together in his hands to accomplish his good good purposes. Many of you know that I grew up in church and um, being in church, you hear about famous missionaries. Perhaps you've heard the the story of Amy Carmichael, 19th century missionary. I had a little stint in, I believe, Japan and then uh, spent most of her time, 55 years, no furlough for her, uh, in in, uh, India. And so as we talk about trying to get missionaries back here to give reports, she went and she was gone. That's how it worked for them back in the day. And so she helped to plant hospitals. She started a religious order. She authored 35 books. But what she is most known for Uh, Carmichael is, is for doing the work of getting young children, young women and women out of the uh, cult of temple prostitution that existed in India at that time. If you know where I'm going with this story about how God works according to his plans and disappoints us, but has an ultimate goal in mind, uh, you know what happens. She's three years old and she's from Ireland and she has what color eyes? Brown. So she wants those blue Irish eyes. And so her mother had told her, if you pray, God will answer your prayers. And so she prayed, Lord, give me blue eyes. And what happens? She goes to bed as a three-year-old, wakes up the next morning, goes to the mirror, and what does she see? Brown eyes, right? And so having brown eyes seemed like such a disappointment. 
But later on, when she was trying to fit into that Indian culture and was taking uh, coffee to dye her fair, uh, fair skin brown and to have those brown eyes, she was able to blend into the culture and get many, many people safe and delivered and to do the work that God had called her to do. We see one thing, and that's the roadblock, but the Lord sees the whole picture. This is no less true in my life. The last two weeks, I've been talking with some of you this morning, the last two weeks have been something of a baptism by fire. I think that's probably a good way to describe it. And it's been really good. It's been full, and I've enjoyed myself. But I find myself chuckling, laughing, because I see what the Lord has done over the last two decades of my life to get ready for this moment. One of you said to me, uh, I was praying for this moment eight years ago, and I, I truly believe that. Let me show you what I mean. I'll give you five things about how the Lord has been getting ready for all of this, all the way back from the beginning. You know, it just so happened that my mother thought it was the right thing to do to put my sister and I in Awana from Sparky's, and at the time, it was, it was Pioneers. That's what we did before TNT came around. And it just so happened that now I'm working in a church that has a longstanding um, and, and good Awana program. It just so happens that I went to a Christian school growing up from kindergarten all the way to 12th grade, and now someone tells me two days ago that I'm on, I'm on the advisory board for JVC, and that is the church that, that we support and that we have a deep, intimate connection with. There's no con needing to convince me of the merit of Christian education, because I'm a recipient of that, and that has blessed my life. It just so happens that I happened to go to Tabor College, where I had just an ounce of athletic ability to give me the chance to sit on the bench for the soccer team. But while I'm there, I, I, I come to a place in the middle of absolutely nowhere, Kansas, nowhere, 1.2 million city. That's where I'm from, person said, that's where I'm from in San Antonio, but going there. But being there, I would have never thought that it would have opened up doors and paid dividends in relationships from California all the way to here. Met a guy named Elliot from Prairie uh, Bible, and um, I'm getting the right Prairie Bible? Is that, is that, okay, good. Um, I'm learning. Uh, and named Elliot, and we're talking a couple weeks ago, and he says, where do you go to college? I said, I went to Tabor. He goes, I graduated there in 1968. And so we have this bond that would have never, connection would never have happened otherwise. It just so happens that one of the friends that I meet there, okay, one of the friends that I meet there who ends up becoming my college roommate, one of my closest friends, we're in each other's wedding, and still, and still good friends today, that Ryan Lowen, when I called him up and said, I think last year, I called him up last year and said, I think God is calling us now to step into lead pastoral ministry. He says, well, it just so happens I know a church that's looking for a pastor. Mine. If all of this isn't that convincing to you, this one should. And this one's my favorite. It just so happens that when I'm 18 years old, show up to Tabor, the cute gal with the freckles and the auburn strawberry red, red hair, that gal, she has parents just two hours away from here in a neighboring MB church, and those parents work with Anthony in youth ministry, a connection on a denominational level, on a denominational level. And her dad happens to be in denominational ministry with Helene. You can't make this up. And it just so happens that this girl went on a mission trip with your church back in 2009 to Africa from all intents and purposes, what I hear that trip was eh, but 
by the time we are at the fast house and we are meeting the search committee, Justine is recognizing people she went on that mission trip with. And not only that, I was in the Tabor band and I was standing here 12 year, uh, 10, 12 years ago and I had no clue. You put all of this together. And I don't tell you this. I don't tell you this to go, look how good of a, a fit Aaron is for your church. That's not the, the main reason I'm telling you this. But I'm telling you this out of just like how Lord has humbled us to go, who are we that he would do this? Like, do you realize how every domino had to fall perfectly for all of this to happen, for me to be the person that's standing in front of you? And the only thing that I can conclude by looking back at all of this is that God has rigged the whole thing. That's the only thing that I can conclude. But what did I see in the midst of all of this growing up? I saw my elementary school closing down, and I had to go to another Christian school. But when I was there, I met the guy who would get me into club soccer, which eventually led to me having that one ounce of athletic ability to go to, to, go to Tabor. What I saw was just going to Awana so I could have a good time, please my mother, and, and be able to go to a camp afterwards in the summer. That's how we would do things. What I saw was my fellow peers getting the jobs that I wanted while I was in seminary and me thinking, Lord, what is wrong with me? Lord, what are you doing? Having to confront jealousy. And now I look at it and I go, praise God that he did not platform me when I was not ready. One of the worst things that can happen for someone who is young is that they are platformed before, they are put in the spotlight before the time is ready. At one point, I only saw the toilet bowl in front of me when in the early part of being in ministry, I'm doing janitorial work and I'm thinking, God, you must have forgotten about me. That, that, that was what was going through your mind. You should know this, that through that experience and being humbled, I have a, a profound respect for those who do our janitorial work here and who make this place look beautiful. It didn't just happen on its own. What a comfort it is to know that we serve a God who is provident, who is a sovereign creator and holds all things in his grasp and nothing is missed by him. Nothing is missed by him. Do you understand when I say the word provident? Like, do we know what that word means? What, what, is, what do I mean by provident? Let me give you a definition if you want to write this down. Here's what providence is. God's providence, it is his purposeful action to continuously uphold, guide, and care for his creation. Let me say that again. God's providence is his purposeful action to continuously uphold, guide, and care for his creation. So it's not just on the one hand that he creates everything. We believe that God created the heavens and the earth, but that he sustains it with his hand. He keeps us going. How, he not only makes the sun, but he also makes the sun get up in the morning and go down in the evening. You can have that confidence because you have a provident God who holds it all in his grasp. But secondly, it's purposeful. God's providence exists not not, not just so that he could do as he pleases, but that you would see his name and you would glorify him. He is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn of all creation, for by him all things were created in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, where the thrones or dominions, rulers or, or authorities, all things were created through him and for him, and he is before all things, and in him all things hold together. He creates it, he sustains it, he holds it all together purposeful action, continuously being upheld. You see this in Paul's life, how God is so provident. Paul doesn't see what's going on, but God does. He sees the end result. 
I didn't see what, Amy Carmichael didn't see what was going on, but God saw the end result. I didn't see what was going on. And Lord knows this is not the end result though, right? There's more work for us to be doing, but up until now you can look back and say, praise God. And so here's my encouragement to you. Are you able to look back in your own life and say, man, here's how he has worked this all out. Don't forget to praise him every once in a while. Write those things down. Because when you're in those moments, as Wes told me, Chairman of our elders, he says, you need to write these things down, Aaron, because things will get difficult in the future, and you need to be reminded because we're quick to forget what God has done to be faithful to you and to us. But what about each of us? Let's get more towards each of us now. That question, what is God's will for our life? Uh, you should know that, I think some of us know this, that most of the ministry the Lord has given me has been with college Young adults, people in their 20s, those who are in that transition stage of life asking those questions, what are going to be my college major? What's my major going to be? What kind of job am I going to have? Where am I going to live? Am I going to get married? Will I be single? You know, those kinds of questions, right? What is God's will for my life? It is not just a question that someone in their 20s asks. We all ask it at every stage of life in our own way. David Platt, I think, is particularly helpful when it comes to uh, this question. I remember listening to a sermon by him, and he said, this is actually a question that the Christian doesn't really need to ask, what is God's will for my life? Because God has already told us his will for our lives and his word. Let me show you what I mean. There's things you don't have to pray for. I'll give you a list. Lord, should I be faithful to my spouse? Should I raise up my children in a godly household? Should I read the word regularly and go to church? Lord, should I obey my parents? Should I cheat on this exam? Should I be honest in all of my business dealings? Friends, you don't gotta pray about these things. God's already told you in his word how he's called you to live, to live in holiness, to be conformed into the image of Christ, to obey him. And so to every one of us who's asking those questions, Lord, what's your will for my life in this season? How about we think this way? That we would not be so concerned with the next 15 years of our lives, but we would be obedient with the next 15 minutes that he's put right in front of us. Don't worry about tomorrow. Tomorrow takes care of itself. Look at how he's called you to obey right now. So think of obedience as the rope that you hold onto of God's will. You don't know where it's going to take you, right? Like maybe be on the back of a jet ski or something, uh, something like that. You don't know where it's going to take you. Only the driver does. But you hold on to the rope of obedience and God takes care of the rest and he tells you where to go. And you can know that when you hold on to that rope of obedience, you don't have to force God's will for your life, but you can trust him that he's gonna take you to the destination that he, ho that he has intended for you to go. And so for all of us with those questions that we wrestle with, Knowing when we hold on to what God has for us, at the end of all things, we can say, I know that I trust my Redeemer who lives. And the promise that I hold dear to me in this moment, whether you are in a good moment or in a bad moment, is this, that he who began a good work in you will bring it to completion on the day of Jesus Christ. That is what Philippians is all about. That is what the book is there for to give us that encouragement to know that no matter what season of life we're in, he is the one. He started our salvation. He sustains our salvation by his providence. And Lord knows he is going to complete your salvation. That is who he is for us today. Look at verse 10 once more though. And when Paul has seen the vision, okay, Macedonian call, right? Immediately we sought to go on into Macedonia, concluding 
that God had called us to preach the gospel to them. What is the driving force of Paul's life? Is it to exalt himself? Nope. The driving force of Paul's life is to be on mission to reach lost people, no matter what stripe or where they have come from. Could it be that for some of us, the reason why we are in such a place going, God, I don't know what your will is for my life. Could it be that you haven't taken up his word seriously lately and gone, let me know what your will is by obeying your will, which is right here in this book. It's not, by the way, I should let you in on a secret. It's not just for the pastor to do. It's for all of us to do. All of us. We're saints. Psalm 37 says, the steps of a man are established by the Lord when he delights in his way. And though he fall, he shall not be cast headlong, for the Lord upholds his hand. This is true for a righteous person. Here's what my prayer is for you. God has a way of ordering our steps even when we don't want him to order our steps when we run a different direction. See the book of Jonah, for example. He has a way of doing this, of ordering our steps, even when we don't want to. My hope that for you, he is, that he would not do that in spite of you, but that he would do that with your will aligned with his will. And for all of us who call on Jesus in our spheres, we would go, Lord, how have you called me to be on mission and let me do that? So let me ask that question to you. Have you suffered in unimaginable ways that nobody here in this room knows, only you, and that if you were to tell others, it would feel like they would just look at you like a deer caught in the headlights, and you'd feel like you're just bleeding all over them. It'd just feel very weird for you. Here's what God's word says for you this morning. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of mercies and God of all comfort, who comforts us in our affliction, so that we may be able to comfort those who are in any affliction with the comfort with which we ourselves are comforted by God. My prayer for you this morning is that you would see that God does not intend for your suffering to be wasted, but that he would use it so that you would be a blessing to others in the ways that you may have needed it once upon a time or the way you have been blessed as you've encountered his grace in the midst of the fire of the, fi- of the trial that you are presently going through. Do not waste your suffering, but use it as a moment to be able to bless others in whatever season you're in. Are you an employer? Is it possible that God has really given you the business that you have really so that you can maybe help those South Africans that are on your farm, those people who are in your workplace that would never hear about the gospel, but maybe they're really there just for you to be the hands and feet of Jesus to them. Maybe that's the real reason of why God has blessed you tremendously if you're a business owner. Is it possible that the real reason God has put some of us in the medical profession, whether we are a doctor or whether we are a nurse or something, all, all, all in between, whether you're a counselor or whatever, is that really when you encounter people, when the surgery doesn't go according to plan, or when they find out those ter- that terrible news of cancer or something else, that you could be Jesus the way he was to, La- uh, to, to the sisters of Lazarus, to Mary and Martha, to be the counselor to be the one to come alongside in someone's vulnerable, some of the most vulnerable moments I've been in, I've been in a hospital. You could be the hands and feet of Jesus when nobody else can. Educators, as we're going back to school. 
Have you thought about how your classroom can be a sanctuary for kids or home is just defined by one word, crazy? And your classroom can be a place where they can experience the hands and feet of Jesus, someone who has a beating heart for them and is able to say, I, I, I may not be able to, to be your mom and dad, but I, I'm here to be Jesus for you. Students, perhaps the reason why you are sitting, going to be sitting next to that kid in the classroom or you are going to be meeting that, that, that fellow student on the soccer field, basketball court, or whatever it's that you could be the hands and feet of Jesus to a lonely friend that needs to know that they have a friend in Jesus. Wherever God has put us, friends, whatever potential roadblocks we may be encountering, maybe the real reason is because God is trying to get our attention for what is most important. So let us be a church that's obedience under that providential hand of God. And we'd be the hands and feet of Jesus to others. And when we have done that, and we see his will exercised in our life, we're gonna be able to look back at all of this and say, it wasn't me, yet not I, but it was Christ in me who did the work. Let's pray. We hope you've enjoyed today's message. Would like to know more about Bethesda Church, you can check us out on the web by going to our website, which is BethesdaMB.org. That's Bethesda, M as in Mary, B as in boy.org. Or check us out on Facebook by searching for Bethesda Church of Huron. Have a blessed day.